and welcome to the 250, the podcast where we take you for a ride on my garbage truck. Truck, truck, truck. I'm Douglas, and with me as always is my co-host Jonathan, and our guest for this episode, Jet. How are you guys? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Jet? Yeah. Um, um, I'm good. <laughs> That's good. I'm, I'm wow, good. you really... How are you, John? I'm good. I'm so good. much... <laughs> <laughs> Back and forth for like another hour and a half. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> if this is your first time tuning into the 250, God help you. We have taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as of January 2020 and have begun watching them from number 250 through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, thoughts, and reactions to the movies within. Today's movie is a divergence from the list as we take a look at a film that we think should have ended up on the 250. Bonus snub number five, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Scott Pilgrim is dating a high schooler. After meeting a mysterious new girl in his town of Toronto, Scott must deal with the seven exes from her past. That is really short. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Very short. Man. Yeah, I could have. You anyway. know what? You you really don't like giving too much info in these little summaries, do you? You're just I'm, like, I'm such a one fucking, sentence, that's it! <laughs> I'm such a wiener with spoilers, and it's like, it's probably better just to be more... Anyway, whatever. <laughs> yeah. They can Google. Uh... This film was directed by Edgar Wright, who is uh, well-renowned for the Cornetto trilogy, which compromises of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End, as well as Baby Driver. Um, And this film was written by Edgar Wright, Michael Bacall, and the original graphic novel was uh, written by Brian Lee O'Malley. Uh, We've all watched this. Uh, yeah, we've before, all watched this film before. Mm-hmm. Multiple times, I gather. Oh, yes. Yeah. This is kind of a... Um, it's kind of a staple in sad uh gamers dickheads who <laughs> who were in high school in like the 2010s yeah um and we specifically decided we, we were going to push this one further back uh but we decided to do it now because it's the or it was the 10th anniversary a couple of weeks ago yeah a couple of weeks ago i think it's uh, august 13th i want to say off the top of my head but uh yeah we just passed its uh, 10th anniversary so this is my personal favorite film like of all time so, as yeah, John said, we were thinking of pushing it back, but given that the tenth anniversary just passed, why not smash it out now? Yeah, I think I think all of us this is like a film kind of close to our hearts, I guess. And um, when did we all watch? We all watched it in high school, right? Yeah, I watched it back in like twenty fourteen or something. Like, yeah, I think my first viewing of it was while I was at university. Pretty sure. Really? Uh-huh. <laughs> mm. Didn't watch it in high school. Look at you. Okie dokie. Well, then <laughs> Jet and I are going to have some very fun conversation about the difference between watching this as a child and watching this as an adult. And you're going to just <laughs> sit there in the corner doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I'm not sure. I've seen it so many goddamn. This is literally like probably my 20th viewing of this film. So yeah. it's up in that bracket. So, but um, not, not everything I have to say about this film is absolutely positive. I will say that. Um, there's this film is not uh, when I've I've been able to look at it more analytically, having doing it for the two five zero, and I've maybe it's because I have seen the film as many times as I have, but I'm starting to see a couple of cracks that you know maybe this film isn't quite as perfect as I built it up in my mind to be. But that is not to say that this film is still you know fucking fantastic. It's you know Edgar Wright doing what he does. It's delightful. And yeah, it's, a, it's still a fucking yeah. Really, really good film. Fun little um, kind of, what's the word, challenge in front of us because this film has been analysed to death. Mm. You know, there's the, the the theme of the film is kind of 
I keep saying metaphorical in, in episodes, and that feels like not the right term. But, you know, it's a metaphor. And the kind of framing of it has unique little quirks to it, which is kind of cool. Just like the way that the visuals are done to suit the story and the kind of comic book uh, uh, original comic. Um, so yeah, all right, thank John, you, Jeff. let's go. <laughs> so, um, I think, I think we still have enough to kind of take away. And I think your kind of everyone's personal experience with it will be kind of interesting enough content. Uh, we're not going to be dropping any huge truth bombs because I don't want to be doing that because I've watched enough films about, uh, enough videos about this film that, I'm pretty sure I'd just be copying someone I'd watched previously. <laughs> yeah, coming into this film, it was kind of like, what can we talk about with this film that hasn't already been said? Um, and that's kind of what I came into watching it this time around as well, was I wanted to try and find things or have, not for the sake of, you know, I have a different <laughs> opinion, but like, just to be able to be like, you know, maybe there are some things that I think that maybe other people haven't thought before. So, hmm. I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll find out, I guess. Um, I guess, so, w- really quick, pre-spoiler stuff. Um, the film has Edgar Wright's fingerprints all over it in terms of yeah. uh, visual flair, big fan of very clever transitions. Uh, like I said before, it plays into this kind of comic book concept very well, better than, like... The, the other one that really does that is... Um, the first Hulk film. Have you guys watched that? Yeah. Yep. I'd like, I, I think I do when I was a kid. Is that the one where it does the actual, like, comic panels? Yeah. Yeah. They were like, they're like, this is like, it was like one of the f- the first comic book films that wasn't like Batman or Superman. Mm. And they were like, how do we do that? But still having a movie. And it was kind of not good. It wasn't the greatest. Yeah. No, I think this, this one really dedicates itself to it. And it, you know, the style works with that to make it successful. The story is good. I guess we'll, um, once again, it's sort of a big metaphor and it's, we'll talk about that one more, I guess. Actors, it's one of those films where I think when it first came out, most of the actors weren't that well known and now they're all huge, I think. Mm. It came out before Juno, didn't it? Which was one of Michael Cera's other big breaks. Did it? I, I literally had this fucking conversation with my fiance yesterday and I can't remember the, Hold on. <laughs> the conclusion we came You to. can't remember when Juno There's came a out. Thing about Michael Sir, I have to say, I don't know if I you want me to say it now. About about when this movie came out and, and Michael Sarah's career and shit. Um If it's not if it's not a spoiler for the film, then go your hardest. Um this film Juno came out in 2007 when did this film come out 2010 right that's a bit earlier <laughs> yeah no cause Michael Sarah. I'm pretty sure one of Michael Sarah's first things was that was like Arrested Development cause in Arrested Development he's like a fucking child oh yeah and in Arrested Development he played a really awkward kid and then he got typecast a bunch for that um, and he's super bad and Juno, super bad and Juno, which he's both really good in. Um, mm. but he kept getting he kept getting typecast as this awkward character, and it it came to a, a, a climax of sorts with a movie with Jack Black. I can't remember the name of it now. Year One. Oh, it's called Year One. Uh, it, it, it ended up with a movie Year One. It starred Jack Black and Michael Sarah as cavemen, 
Um, and that was the joke is that Jack Black, like, it's like Michael Cera is like an awkward caveman and that's funny. Um, that movie didn't do well commercially and it's partially because that everyone was really tired at that point of Michael Cera playing the awkward character. Right. Mm. And like, it just like, it like, it just kept getting like, he was good, but then everyone was like getting tired of it and then came to year one, which wasn't even like that well-written of a movie or anything like that. And people were just tired of it and got tired of Michael Cera. And then when it came to Scott Pilgrim, part of the reason that movie didn't do as well commercially is because everyone was tired of Michael Cera playing the awkward character, right. which he also does in Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Yeah. He'd had about three years worth of cementing himself as that character uh, picture, I guess. Mm. And then, yeah, everyone just went, oh, how's Michael Cera in this one? Maybe he's better. And then everyone goes to see it and they go, nah, he's still the same whiny fucking baby. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we can go more into that in spoiler territory, but yeah, I can, mm, I can see that. Mm. He really doesn't have many like big parts after Scott Pilgrim. Michael Sarah. Yeah. Except maybe I don't, I don't know how big these TV parts were, but I've never, I haven't heard of any of these fucking TV, uh, these other films. That, that the one had. with the cactus was semi big, I think. One with the cactus. The one with the cactus. Oh, where he's holding he's the cactus. He's holding the cactus, yeah. I'm no, I don't know is what that- Is that from a film? I think Crystal Fairy and the Magical Cactus is a comedy drama film from 2013. I think that one was kind of popular. Uh, okay. He was in Sausage Party. Right. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah, big wolf. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. God awful It was. It was is. a lot of, like- There's a bunch of TV stuff in here. There was a bunch of- um, him playing himself in The Simpsons, I believe. Really? No, wait. No, no, wait. No, that's someone else. <laughs> I, I, I can't anyway. imagine Michael Cera in Simpsons style. That's really quite horrifying. Right. He's, yeah. he's Nick. Probably Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him in Family Guy, but not uh, Simpsons. Um, all right. Well, uh, we've, we've rabbled on in the fucking pre-spoiler territory for long enough. Uh, Jonathan, would you recommend this film? Yes. Yes. Um, Jet, it's, it's- would you recommend this film? No, that's it. No, that's all you get. Jet, would you recommend this film? Yes. Very Good. much. John, why? <laughs> why? Okay. No, um, I think it's unfortunately got more value to someone who watched it as a kid and then grew up and watched it again. But it's still visually amazingly inventive, a very fun story, kind of a lot of things to think about with it. The meaning of the film is not super deep, but it's also kind of fun uh, just from a critical point of view, just kind of go like try and put pieces together. I found that very enjoyable. It's just fun. It's 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 mm. flashy and cool and that's nice. So, yeah. Yeah. I would recommend it. Yeah. Nostalgia value plays pretty heavily. Yeah, it does, film, unfortunately. Um, Jet, why would you recommend this film? I mean, I I just think that, yeah, I mean, like you're right. Like you might be right. Like the nostalgia probably does play a bit in this, but I think it's fun to watch. Uh, like visually like you said it's really fun I really like Edgar Wright's bullshit that he does you can't go wrong I like uh, I like the story I like the characters I like the fucking acting I just think it's all round good music all of it it's just enjoyable to watch like any any sort of you know we'll get into it later like more like deeper shit aside I think it is genuinely also just like a fun watch so Mm. it is oh we have managed to what we're like 15 minutes in We've completely glossed over the fact that this film is fucking hilarious. Yes. Like, very oh, yeah, funny. <laughs> we always have this problem with fucking comedy films where you're just like, it's either kind of funny or not. And you can sort of break that down a little bit. Go like, oh, they had some like good- A um, couple of one-liners. Yeah. Or, or, you know, long form or something. But 
It's extremely funny. The comedy in this has yep. defined part of my own comedy, dude. Yes. <laughs> I think potentially all of us. Yeah. It's extremely varied. Yeah. That's that's honestly probably the reason I would... The number one reason I would recommend it. And then the visuals. Yeah. How about you, Douglas? I would say uh, on my rewatch, I'm not sure whether this is my favorite film of all time anymore. Oh. But... I think it, yeah, as you guys all said, it's a it's a very good cohesive package of editing, acting, music, whole shebang. It's a very enjoyable ride. And I think that, yeah, there is probably still the, it's going to hold a soft spot in my heart just because, you know, it, it is Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> and it's got all of the quotable quotes and the, the rewatchability of a fucking DVD box set of Friends season three, <laughs> which is to say a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I would still recommend this film. I just, I wanted to try and come at it a little bit more critically and understand why I wanted to understand why isn't it in the 250? Why did it not make the 250? Mm. And I think I'm beginning to understand why. It, Interesting. With that said, why don't we, uh, uh, do a base riff over into spoiler town? <laughs> I watched, I watched an episode of, uh, actually after watching this, I watched an episode of Friends with my significant other. That, that, that show is... What season? What season? I don't fucking know what it was. Oh, okay. Are they old or are they young-ish? They always look old. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. the answer. <laughs> James fucking loves that show, but I have tried to watch it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's had some funny I, jokes. I, I watched it. I watched it all growing up, but I still think, yeah, it, with most of those bloody TV shows, the early seasons are where it's really hot because they're all, you know, the writers are pretty into it still and the yeah. actors are still exploring their characters and everything. And then just, yeah, the more it gets on, you're like, oh, fuck. Joey said, how you doing again? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking new ground. <laughs> Maybe that's why I didn't find it funny at all because they were just like, here's a, here's a, character joke and I was like I'm unfamiliar <laughs> with this <laughs> yeah anyway that's been yeah. our review of Friends season 3 um, yeah <laughs> thanks for listening to the 250 we'll, we'll see you later <laughs> if, if Scott Pilgrim's gone knocked down what's your what's your new favourite I don't know film, I don't know I don't know what my new favourite film is I think it's I'm gonna have to dwell on that for a little bit oh. but yeah I just I genuinely don't think it's my number one anymore for a, for a variety of reasons but rather than should we do you want me to start with some negatives and then we can go more into positives yeah or, sure. Um, sure I think I think what a lot of people struggle to get past is I think this film has a very shitty first act it needs to introduce Scott Pilgrim as a character who, as a default, is a very unlikable person. <laughs> and you have to also get across the idea that there are not one, not two, but three girls that all like Scott Pilgrim. And in my head, I'm like, why? What is redeeming about this incredibly shitty person, you know? And, you know, he has that, he has the arc as the film goes on and he does kind of, he's got a major fucking victim complex, mm. but he still kind of develops as a person as the film goes on. But I think a lot of people don't get to see that because the first act is so fucking horrendous that they just go, oh God, Michael Sarah, just shut the fuck up, right. please. And 
Matthew Patel, the first X, hits very hard, very fast, very strong. And it, like, it tosses you right in the weirdness. It doesn't give you, like, a single fucking second to just go, okay, what the hell is happening? It just, like, you get right in with Matthew Patel's musical shenanigans. And then I feel like it's almost like Edgar Wright sets the bar and goes, if you can't handle this, then fuck off, basically. <laughs> um, is he and wrong? I think that's... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think that's where a lot of people fall is, yeah, they just, they can't get, they can't relate to Scott Pilgrim as a character. Mm. And he's a bit unbreachable in that sense. You can't really find any way of supporting him in that beginning act. I saw a lot of people had a lot of um, gripes with how Ramona was portrayed as well in just uh, a lot of people who, a lot of uh, women who were like Ramona got when the film came out, uh, every single gamer boy with a pickle rick pin on his messenger bag came up to all these girls and were going you want to be my ramona baby i'll be your scott pilgrim like you know it kind of it reinforced that um ideology of like you know pixie you know quote unquote dream dream pixie girl yeah um, yeah yeah um it reinforced that idea and i'm can definitely see how that would have pissed off a lot of women who were just trying to, you know, live their life doing their own thing. And then suddenly they had all these fucking Scott Pilgrim wannabes knocking at their door being assholes because the film promotes that kind of behavior. Mm. Yeah. And I thought Ramona was pretty bland. Her backstory is just kind of like, well, it's there, but like she she came from New York. Some things happened there. Gideon's a dick. Beyond that, who knows? She's almost more of um, a story scaffold for like a theoretical person who has. So if it wasn't clear already and you didn't already know um, and you haven't watched the film and you are here, the seven evil exes are a just blown out metaphor for emotional romantic baggage and yeah it does suck because kind of Ramona doesn't really matter as much as her baggage does yeah yeah I yeah uh what you said before about quote-unquote gamer boys completely misunderstanding everything about this um I think is important to what I mentioned before about Mm. watching this as a teenager and then watching it again as an adult and I'll probably drop in and out of this point a lot. I lo- I saw the trailer and there's all this cool video game references and over the top fighting and fucking Zelda music and shit. And I watched it and it was, I, I did not understand that Scott was a fucking douchebag. Mm-hmm. And that was partly because the whole Scott is, Scott, Scott Pilgrim was dating a high schooler thing. Immediately, when you see him, you're like, he's 22. You're like, oh, he's a fucking terrible dweeb mm, yeah. who who can't get women his age to like him. Because they don't tolerate his bullshit. Yeah. But when you're a high schooler, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Michael Cera kind of looks like he's fucking 17 anyway. So that completely went over my head. And then the film, I, I'm not going to say buries the lead because the fault is also just my complete immaturity at that point but right at the end scott's whole shtick is that he he, you know he earns the power of self-respect and it's almost like if you're not thinking about too hard the message of the film is you got to respect yourself it's not about the relationship it's about you and that is not a great message for the hordes of teenagers that watch this Mm, no but as soon as you're like oh i'm fucking 24 years of age this 
you know, metaphor is just smacking you in the face constantly. Yeah. You're like, I get what's going on. I see what's happening. Yeah. As well as being able to go like, he's fucking, him, him dating knives to begin with was terrible. And then him not really breaking up with knives is terrible. And the way that he treated Kim is terrible. And everything he did during I, Ramona's relationship I, I is that, terrible. Because I, again, I watched this back in like 2014 and I was like, 14. Um, <laughs> Congrats. But I read the comics first. Oh. Because I had someone recommend me the comics because they owned the comics. And I was like, sure, that looks cool. And I read the comics. I read each of them. As a, as a still young, young gamer, gamer boy that uh, at that time identified as heteroflexible. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was bad. Um, <laughs> uh, but at the time, you know, like, but I still didn't realize everything. Like, like you said, the high school thing didn't really kind of goes over your head when you're in high school. But in the comics, I feel... It, it, it is still a bit more obvious. The problem with the movie is that it only has a movie runtime to get shit done. Right. In the comics, there's a lot more of Scott's backstory that they go into. Like, in the movie, it's just implied about what happened with Kim. Oh, yeah. yeah. But in the comics, it, it full on goes into the whole thing with Kim. And there's a whole, literally a whole character missing from the movie because they had to cut down parts from the comics. And that character, Lisa, in the comics, um, also reveals more about scott being more blatantly a dickhead mm. like go again the, the fact that they go more into scott's backstory in the comics it's a bit easier to understand you, you see him like he, he, he once you see like the breakdown of his relationship with kim and stuff it's a lot easier to understand that he's a dickhead but since they had to cut that out for the movie uh, almost a lot of it's lost to an extent yeah yeah it, it does feel like mm. there's so much omission that we're only seeing... We're seeing through a keyhole of what is the bigger picture. Um, you got you got Julie, Julie Powers. There's obviously there's shit going on there. There's Kim and then there's Envy. Um, and all three of those characters, it, it felt like they had more importance than what we were being shown. There was so much... Mm. There was already so much established backstory that had happened before we as an audience even got there. And mm. that, yeah, that feels uh, kind of, yeah, you're getting half the picture. I feel like it, it does, the film does do a good job of reinforcing Scott's emotional immaturity, but yeah. in a way that probably adults would understand more than teenagers. Um, the, the idea that Scott is living literally across the road from where he grew up. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, he's a fucking baby. He doesn't want to move that far away from his house because he's still a baby and he still wants to, you know, rely on mum and dad if he does still need to. Yeah. Dating knives, you know, that's like 101 of rebound um, off of like envy. It's all, yeah, he's just... Completely immature, and the film does do a good job of that, but I feel like, yeah, they're just either people that can't connect with Scott, because he is, you know, the lead, um, the titular character, and then, yeah, people just not really getting down with ideologies that the film presents. Hmm. I, I remember uh, while I was in high school, um, I was listening to, and I still do, uh, a podcast called The Comedy Button, and this exact thing happened where they were like, I really want to like one of the characters, uh, one of the the, the co-host was like i really want to like this film um but the character is such an unlikable prick <laughs> and as a fucking 17 year old i was like what why it's awesome it's great I don't get it. <laughs> and i'm like mm. oh 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we've we've talked a lot about the bad. Uh, I'm, that's it. That's it for that's your the negatives? bad. Okay. Um, yeah. That's my negative. So we can we can start being. Um, we can go into some positives because I yeah there are some positives. Uh, many positives to this fucking film. Uh, we talked about it before in the pre spoilers. Edgar Wright is the king of transitions. Yep. Every single transition is fucking flawless, and it keeps the pace of the film so smart, so fresh. The whole film is just bop 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 bop. It's um, uh, it feels like he was almost experimenting with things here mm. in preparation for Baby Driver because there are some things that are incredibly rhythmic in Scott Pilgrim and, you know, the whole essence of Baby Driver is that it's an action musical movie mm. so everything is on cue to a rhythm, to a BPM, to a beat <laughs> and yeah, there are so many moments in this film where I was just like, wow, this could like this feels like he's working on Baby Driver <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, the music has a lot of, you know plays into a lot of the scenes it's kind of it's not it's nowhere near as tight as baby driver but that's also fine i guess i actually i want i've got a theory about the like each of the evil x scenes mm. i'm wondering uh, i guess that kind of falls apart but there's almost like each of them have their own kind of genre like obviously you've got like a bollywood situation going on the first one and then with Matthew Patel, and then we have kind of just like a standard action film type thing with Lucas Lee. Um, and this is where I started reaching. <laughs> <laughs> After two of the two of them. <laughs> After the first two. <laughs> yeah, two X's in. I, um, you, you sort of had this whole superhero shtick obviously going on with um, Todd. Todd. And then- yeah, actually, sorry. This was where I was reaching. I was like, "Is Roxy kind of like a like a horror thing?" Because of the <laughs> the bit where she's doing like the I guess like or like a like a kung fu movie with all the ninja stuff. Yeah, I, I would say more. Yeah, I would say more ninja kung fu. That's where my mind was going. How the hell did you get horror from that scene where he's in the um he's in the alleyway and she's going like. Whew, whew, whew. And it's like, and it's like That's hearing what noises. Ninjas do, Ninja Jonathan. Yeah, but that was like, it was like, it was like horror framing. <laughs> <laughs> there are all these noises in the background and stuff. <laughs> oh my god! The problem is that I couldn't fit any find any fit for that for the Katayanagi twins, unfortunately. Oh, um, a recorded um concert. <laughs> That's it. The, there you the, go. Well, he, the Ka- the Katayanagi twins are their their whole thing is completely different. In the comics. So maybe there was a genre yeah. in the comics, yeah. and then for the movie they had to get rid of it. Mm. They are- Which I do have some trivia on. Okay, good. Oh, sorry. They're <laughs> extremely thin as characters in this. It sucks, because I actually- I Again, it's been a long time since I've read the comics, but I really liked their thing in the comics, if I remember correctly. Mm. If you remember correctly. What do you remember, Jet? I remember they- Something about a party. Instead of going like the, the music fighting thing, Scott had to go to like the party held by- uh, a party held by the twins or something. Right. And there was something to do with cages. Someone was in a cage. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember- It was something to do with a party. Scott talked to Ramona on the balcony for a bit or something, I think, as well. Yeah. It was- It was way more down to earth than they are in this film, which is just a big, yeah. big music dragon fight. I don't think, yeah, the film doesn't even give them any, like, backstory, anything. Like, I think most of the other exes get their own little, co- like, you know, illustrated comic cutout of some description. Yeah, more or less. But the Katayanagi twins, they're like, gosh, I'm trying to work out who even realizes they're the 
the next X's, maybe Ramona just says it at some point. Yeah. It's on like- the it's on the laminated card, and oh. then you get the smash cut to uh, Stills flipping through the, the things, and then young Neil saying that yeah. she dated the twins at the can, same can time. Can I also, that reminds me, can I point out just as a small note? Oh. I love that every time they do an illustration in this movie, whether it's like, like a comic thing they throw on the screen, or like just a drawing on a piece of paper, or a little picture they put on the side of the screen it's always still in the style of the comic books yeah that is good it wasn't it wasn't actually um brian lee o'malley's um illustrations that were shown in the movies either it was just someone who could very well mimic his illustration style right so, there you go that's interesting well yeah I, I, I like that a lot nonetheless it looks it looks cool and it adds to mm. it they get very clever mm. with that there's the shot um I think it's after, or no, is it with the date at Wallace's house where he's kind of, they're, f- they're framing shots in such a way that there's like a big black block that they can yeah. put illustration That's on. That's when he's talking about his haircut. Yeah. They get, they get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, she did. It was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, and, and there's always like little kind of cut-ins on like action-y moments and um, when they're playing in the band as well, just like little lightning bolts coming out and stuff. Mm. There's a lot of really good details in this movie. We could get into that later. Yeah. Yeah. Now. That's, um, mm. welcome to Top Mojo's Top 20 <laughs> Scott Pilgrim effects that, Easter you, eggs. that you didn't notice what's what's the one where they're on the bus and like the bouquet in the back goes into hearts and then goes back into yeah yeah, yeah. oh classic classic saw that on wow. tumblr fucking Whoa. 10 years ago the onomatopoeia really sold the like comic booky vibe for me like the ding dong and like it shows ding dong like oh, on yes. the screen and the um uh yeah all of those like little moments the bass the d d d d d yeah that's um, good it does that a lot throughout the movie and that's yeah that reinforces the superhero comic booky vibe mm. uh big time a lot i mean yeah you know amazing visual stuff in this film left right and center they do a lot of um just shots that would work in a comic um like close-ups um, jumping between people, like, to see people's reactions. Mm. In just, like, in a way that's just, like, here's this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy that probably wouldn't work in, like, a normal action-y type film, but mm. does in this because of the general vibe you've got. There's a lot of, like, use of slow motion in a way that they can show off, like, a very dynamic pose as opposed to, like, you know, the, normally the movement and the animation is what's more important in, in a film, but they're just like, oh, here's someone, like, uppercutting someone or something. I'm I'm doing a little Mario uppercut on the camera right now. <laughs> <laughs> there was stuff like that, I think, and I think particularly in the Patel fight, which, again, like you said before, is one of the more cartoonish ones. There is a lot of that, like, just they do, like, a pose or whatever. Mm. And, like, yeah, it, but it works. Like, the way it's edited, the way everything, every piece of, like, editing, like, the ding-dongs and everything looks like a comic book. You, you, mm. you kind of, like, it, you just, you don't think much of it, really. I was just going to say, I think that by the time you've reached the Patel fight, everything has already reached such a kind of dizzying height Mm. that by the time you've hit there, you're kind of, you're already in for what Edgar Wright does Mm. and what you understand this film to be if it is your first time watching it. Mm. Um, and that you just, yeah, by the time the Patel fight comes along, you're just, ah, oh, fuck it. All right. Sure. <laughs> you know, they're, they're flying through the air, punching each other right now. And then he explodes into coins. You know what? Fuck it. All right. <laughs> There's already been a lot of silly by that point, but nothing so mm. completely on the nose. Yeah. This is a video yeah. game fight type silly, which, which yeah. is, I mean, and the, the film doesn't really need to do that too much. The other the other thing I noticed, um, 
I remember this being a thing when I first watched it as a kid. Um, the lives, because he gets the life after he yeah. kills the Kaminagi yep. twins. And I was, I was sitting there like, why didn't they integrate more like video game style elements to the film? And it's like, because that's not the fucking point. The life is just there mm-hmm. as like a story element. So he can have this like epiphany in in a more kind of on the nose way yeah. than most films would have. They can just go like, oh, he fucking dies and then he learns his lesson and restarts it. Yeah. I think it would have alienated a general audience too much as well. If yeah. you got, you know, if if you made it too video gamey, that would have set it specifically to a, you know, a very, very specific demographic, which, you know, they would have gone into it in spades, but it wouldn't have sold to a more general audience it's scott scott pilgrim is not for children (laughs) (laughs) it 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 feels like to me on the couple of rewatches i've done the more again the more i've looked at as an adult it feels more like to me the video game stuff almost is is and again because that that's not even just from the movie that's that's all from the comics it feels like you know the original comic writer um more like putting stuff in a way that they understand almost you know what i mean like that they like, the whole life, get a life thing and all this stuff, like, it, it all feels like it's a way that they feel comfortable expressing these things, you know? It's not like, haha, look, life, funny Zelda reference. <laughs> it's like, actually, like, this is an interesting way that I understand of presenting this story to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I can get behind that. Talking about funny Zelda reference. <laughs> for some reason, this is this is the watch through that I've thought about young Neil the most and just, like, watched everything that young Neil was doing through that. There's so, it's it's so weird. There's so much going on with him as a character. Where Young Neil's really good. Actually, they they handle him well in the film. The Zelda sound effects, which are at the start, specifically Zelda sound effects, only happen in scenes where Young Neil is around playing Zelda on his Nintendo DS. Really, <laughs> <laughs> which is such a tu- like. I remember that that was kind of when uh, when I was watching as a kid. I was like, oh, I understand. Like, oh, these guys get it because he's playing. On a DS Lite, but he isn't playing a DS game. He's playing a Game Boy Advance game. And when they do that, they have like the little... Because it's like a cartridge that sticks out the bottom by like 10 mils. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, these guys fucking know what's up. They're video games, bro. Yeah, video <laughs> games, dude. And then the film was not about the- video games. And it all went over my head. <laughs> it reinforced... Those those Zelda sound effects have very specific rules. Mm. And I liked... I picked that out on this watch. I'd never noticed it before. Like like you said, I, I paid a bit more attention to Young Neil as well in this rewatch. Um, Young Neil and Knives. I paid more attention to those two characters a little bit more. Um but uh, when the door opens for knives, it does the da 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 sound effect. <laughs> That's like one um, of the first scenes of the film. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. It does lots of that good stuff. Um, again, fucking transitions. The the big bit that hit me like a fucking brick was we get through three scenes in probably about ten seconds, mm, yeah. and it's when uh, Ramona. Uh, has, you know, just delivered off the package at the library and Scott's seen her for the first time and we have that slow motion bit and then Stills comes into frame and goes, Scott! And, you know, that pulls him back into the apartment and then we're in the apartment for a hot second and then Stills walks off, turns back and goes, you know, like, are you paying attention or whatever? Yeah. And then we're on the street. Yeah. It's That's so like- fucking good. <laughs> Three seconds is literally like 15 seconds. Like, how do you orchestrate that shit? You've got to get, feels like... Natural. It works. Absolutely. It's yeah. not even that mm. complicated of a transition because they'll just have him in one shot and then jump to another shot where he's... I think he's like 
from a different angle, but it's like it's a th- it's a bit of a different angle. He's placed yeah. in the same part of the frame, but in like a new location. Or I, actually, maybe yeah. there's like still like front on. I I think, but mm. they're not that complicated. But yeah, they flow fucking incredibly. It's it's almost like he's shooting those three scenes as if they were one scene. Mm. You know, yeah. so like he's just treating it treating the setting as like it's a. Uh, it's a completely interchangeable thing. So, you know, setting is, you know, we could be here, we could be here, it doesn't fucking matter. I'm shooting this whole kibosh as one scene, we're going to make it flow script-wise, present, presentation-wise, like it's one scene. It's fucking, it, yeah, it blows my mind. It makes sense from the context of the story too, because he sees Ramona and then you can't stop thinking about her. And mm. you, whenever you get start thinking about anything and you can't get it off your mind, fucking manic dream time pixie girl or not fast. time flies fast yeah and you keep zoning out and it's just it it works really well and it just yeah it, yeah it gives this feeling that is kind of like floating you know and and not paying attention to what's going around him i really want to talk about young neil you fucking you fucking derailed me you bastard <laughs> what I, we still talked a little bit about young neil um i yeah i what other cool transitions were there there's this one bit where he walks into a bathroom i think and then he comes back out and it's like a different Scene. Oh yeah, but that's that when he walks out into the high school when he's in like I think it's Stephen's bathroom, like Stephen's house. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Bathrooms reminds me. I love the scene where I think if you're about to say P bar, I swear to God. No, P bar's <laughs> fine. P bar's fine. That's not the scene. <laughs> that's not the scene I'm talking about. Um it's MV Adams and Todd. Knives is Knives has just dyed her hair. And Ramona goes into the toilets at this club and she's just like at the toilets. She's like, hi, Ramona. And, <laughs> and Ramona's like, hi. And she walks away and she's like, what the fuck? And it's like, <laughs> I never picked that. But like, that's exactly how I would respond. <laughs> I was like, is this... 17 year old I met like twice and she's at this club now and she dyed her <laughs> hair blue <laughs> she looks suspiciously like me yeah I was just like I'm gonna just leave if that's alright with you talking about uh, X fights I feel like we should have the discussion um, who are all of our favourite uh, X fights so which was your favourite X sequence Ooh. like uh- Technically, yeah. Matthew Patel is like one of the like more fun ones with like the choreography, and it really integrates with his music and stuff. It's mm. hard to go past the vegan police bit, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> the I, I have to agree. Like, yeah, like that is such a good bit. It's very funny. I want to like who's the girl? What's her name? Roxy. Roxy. <laughs> Roxy. I want to like Roxy more. I t- it. It feels a bit clumsy, Roxy's bit, to me, really? personally. I actually I actually like her as a character. I thought that was interesting. I like her as a character, but I just... I don't know. The fourth fight was my favourite, because it just felt so fucking bombastic. Like, when Ramona, like, catches her foot and it does the whole, like, versus thing, and it's like... That the, is cool, you know, yeah. Teenager bit is like, Oh, shit, it's about to go down! Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, do, I, do, I do like that, and I like the fucking... Because Ramona gets out her hammer or whatever, mm. and yeah, that's yeah. She has that badass line. Yeah. But there's some other things in the scene. Like, I've never been a huge fan of Ramona constantly talking about how it was just a phase. Right. The whole Mm. lesbian thing. I've never been entirely comfortable with that. Mm. Scott's a dickhead about them being lesbians, but that's just Scott, so I'm not bothered by that. On brand. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) And I've always always found it a bit weird how that fight ends as well. Like, the the one girl ex ends in a sexy way. 
That's kind of weird. I, I kind of read it as sort of like a baggage thing of uh, the, the idea that l- lesbians have a better understanding of sex with another woman. Yeah. And that's like, that's almost like baggage about, uh, it's kind of Scott's inner fears of like not being able to like please a woman as it were, because that's her life. Yeah. She's like, you'll never be able to do this to her. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Like that definitely changes it a bit for sure. Yeah. That it's it's weird. And you're right. It's a bit and you're weird, right. Yeah. Yes. I do. Again, I really still like that bit. And I love Roxy, but I, every time I watch it, I always think, am I picking up on the weird things here or is this intentional? No. Like, yeah. I think, yeah. Story wise, uh, the fourth fight is yeah sketchy, but I think in general presentation, I love the fourth yeah, I fight. Like uh, I can't remember what it was like in the comics. I think it was similar, but. Oh, there's definitely. And I mean, if we're talking. There's like side no, by side shots in that that were taken. Like when she pulls the hammer out and then it like has like a worm's eye view like from the hammer coming up is directly from the comic I remember that Mm -hmm. I'm gonna fucking eat my words if that's wrong Um, (laughs) (laughs) Scott Pilgrim readers if John's wrong about that fucking tear him apart (laughs) again though yeah like I I, like I still really like it I'm not saying it's bad or like every time I'm watching I'm like wow this sucks but there are a couple of things that strike me weird with that again I want to like it I think that's reasonable but again yeah the vegan police is probably still my favourite Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because it's so fucking out of left field. Yeah. It could be maybe closely followed by uh, the second X, because I fucking love skateboarding down the oh. thing. That's so funny to me. Wow. Chris, Chris fucking Evans, man. Like, he's, actually, he's realize, actually really good in this. <laughs> uh, I did not realize when I, when I first watched this how much Chris Evans was going to have an impact on fucking my viewing experiences because he's this is his second uh, occurrence here in the 250 he's uh, previously been in our last bonus episode which was Knives Out oh yeah he was here we got Chris Evans he was on the podcast go listen to it <laughs> whoa um yeah no Chris Evans was in uh, Knives Out um and he is uh I mean obviously Captain America in the Marvel Cinematic Universe um and he's I think he's probably my favourite in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I vibe Captain America. He's got, yeah, probably the best, like, long-term character arc. Mm. Except maybe... And just him as a... Maybe not the best, but he's, like, top five. I'm trying to think of what the really good ones are, but he's not a bad one. There are some really, really miserable, flat character arcs that are... Like, oh, poor Black Widow who had nothing and then died. <laughs> wow. Fucking spoilers, John. Good luck cutting that one out. <laughs> um, I think, uh, oh, well, I mean, we're going to get into it in like two, three years that's time a, I, anyway. Okay, no, no, that's a spoiler. That's a spoiler for uh, she dies in one of a, a, a series of films that spans like, what, 15 years? <laughs> Yeah, well, we're going to be getting to it anyway, aren't we? Because it's way up there on the 250 list. I've forgotten by then. Oh, God. (laughs) This is spoilers. I'm so antsy about spoilers, but I'm not worried about spoiling other movies in this spoiler section about this other movie, though. (laughs) Um, Fucking get your story straight. (laughs) It is. that, That is very creative. He's, he's an amazing character. The like, I'm a big mm. fan. Why wouldn't you be? I, I guess that's like one liners with basically everybody. Yeah. The, the fight with all the, the stunt doubles. His is a bit, it, it's got like fun bits to it, but I think it is a little underbaked. Mm. Yeah. But it does. Yeah. It purely is like a fun thing to watch. It's, it's fun. The it's stunt fun. doubles His are characterization great. is great. I still don't get, okay. I want to know if you guys can help me out with this one, but know. when, um, Wallace, isn't it? Right. Yeah. The, the, um, Gay roommate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when he sidles up to Scott and he's like, 
ask him how it feels to always get his sloppy seconds. What is the joke there? With Chris Evans? No, he, he walks up to Scott right before Scott has the big wham-bam fight scene with all the stunt doubles. And then Wallace like sidles into frame and he goes, hey, ask him how it feels to always get his sloppy seconds. And then Scott turns to go say it and then the fight scene Isn't starts. Because he's the second, I don't get what the joke is. He's the second evil ex. Maybe. But even then, it doesn't feel like a, ooh, burn, got him. Like it. Yeah, I just, I don't get the joke. I, I guess that kind of fits in, you know, like sloppy seconds, he's the second act. Do you but... have any input on this, Jed, or is this a mystery? Uh, I, I, genuinely, I don't even remember the joke. So, it <laughs> I also so there you go. Exactly. Exactly. It's so fucking hit and miss that you're just like, oh, that was a joke. Okay. It, it, I don't know. That was one bit where I was just like, mm. I'm assuming it's to do with the second evil X. I think John might be right, but that's, that's just based on eat shit. Mm. I can't, I can't be sure. <laughs> I can't be sure. That's, that's all we've got. Um, like I said, yeah, Katie and Argy twins are a bit are a bit lukewarm. Um, mm. so that pro- being said, f- the fucking fight is actually visually cool. Visually, yeah. fucking sick. And that's when they, mm. is that when they play Threshold? Because that is a very good song. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure. You've only uh, wait. It is. Yes, it is. This is the beginning of the song. Yeah, it is. That's threshold. Yeah. That's a yeah. that's, and that's a that's a fucking highlight because that song is fucking killer. Yeah, it's a banger. Yeah. Talking talking while we're talking about general cast characters, this is the only performance of Brie Larson that I actually like. Um, cannot cannot <laughs> fucking tolerate her at all as Captain Marvel in the Marvel Cinematic oh, Universe. All right. And her as a general human being, hot take. I hate her. <laughs> she just seems very up herself in, in all of the uh, promotional material that I've seen of Brie Larson. So. I, I don't know what you guys think of her, but I just can't stand her. I actually don't know if I've actually seen much with Brie Larson. The, yeah, the Captain Marvel stuff was, um, it's, that's a bigger problem with all these films that are like trying to be woke by, and you know, I 110% support way more fucking diversity in film than we currently have, mm-hmm. but you mm. get company, you know, you get like the Marvel cinematic universe for example going like or like the female ghostbusters where it's just like and i think that's that's why i kind of like annihilation as well where it's just like the main character are all female and it kind of works with the themes of the film and it's not like not fucking mentioned and no one makes a big fucking deal about it whereas this both this and ghostbusters they were like oh people hate this as a concept because you feel like you're pandering and then they get up on stage at Comic-Con and they're just like, incels are trying to shut this film down. And it's like, well, yes, <laughs> of course, but that is not the only problem with this whole concept. And then it, yeah. and then making a fuss about it brings up, you know, it's basically free marketing and then they end up with more people watching the film anyway. I Yeah. Yeah, it becomes a full cycle. Also, full cycle back around to Annihilation. Well done, John. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it all comes back, doesn't it? I, I, I'm just trying uh, to remember what else she's been in. Oh, Room. I looked. At, I looked at a bunch of movies. I genuinely haven't seen any of them. I think it's the only movie I've ever seen with her in it. Uh, Room. I, she was in that. I'm pretty sure she was in the the King Kong reboot. Um, she was Rachel in Community. Oh yeah, she was in Community. Yep. That's who though. I don't know. Um, Rachel. I don't remember those Rachel characters. Exactly. She's that forgettable. <laughs> she in, is very good it. in this though. Exactly, I don't get she's it. She's really this, good she's in this. So I fucking love good. Envy's such a good character in this. Yeah, she's she fucking nails good. Envy so well. And like, even that, like, I was like, oh, maybe it's because she's a bit of a 
twat in real life. Maybe that's why she can play Envy. But then even in that, like, that one sentimental bit that Envy and Scott have where Scott calls her Nat, she even does that. So I'm like, I don't get it. That is actually, we we managed to completely slide over this, but the acting in this is fucking amazing. There's there's so much stuff with just the way that people hold themselves and the way that people emote and the way that people talk, not the words they're saying, but the way they talk that tells you so much about their fucking characters and almost all of the big characters have this where Ramona um, in, I think the like quote unquote first date just like holds herself so well, like so confidently. And whenever Scott makes like a dumb thing, she's like, that's a bit weird. Yeah. Uh, In like, in just like the most coolest way you could do it. It's like not even the kind of cringy way of going like, haha, you you did something stupid or kind of calling them out in a way. She's just like, that's yeah. weird. Like, oh, yeah. I can't wait to hear till the, I can't wait to hear the song when it's finished type shit. <laughs> and, yeah. and that is like Michael Cera, you know, he's Proud probably, Zero. probably is, it's, it's a shame he got typecast as the character he did, but he probably is still the best actor for this character. He's re- no, yeah. Like he's really good at it. Yeah. And he, he does well. I Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't think of anyone else to play him, to play Scott. Exactly. He does but be fantastic as, as Scott. As as Jet said, maybe that's because he had that background of Juno, super bad, you know, all of these films where he was typecast as that thing that everyone, when Scott Pilgrim rolled through the door, they were just like, well, Michael Sarah, yeah. get him on. It's almost, it's <laughs> almost like on a meta level, this, mm. this thing that was, this typecasting is not wonderful and it's kind of boring to look at where they're just like, he's the same character over and over again, but it led into... If I had been, you know, five years older and seen more of these Michael Cera films before and then gone, oh, Michael Cera is this, which means he's going to be typecasted as the lame dweeb, dweeb character, I probably would have got the film better. Like, it's almost, almost fits that. Mm. You've got, yeah, Envy is, like, incredibly confident, but you can also immediately see that she's kind of putting on a character a little bit. From just like mm. she's yeah, from the from the phone call even you can you can get who she is and <laughs> Twad uh, to- Twad fuck <laughs> Todd is just this like jock dickhead who has no idea Chad. what's going on and it's like oh basically <laughs> yeah. we're vegan we're basically just better than you <laughs> there, there's you a lot of the highlights out of her hair <laughs> <laughs> that's a good joke no there's I feel like. I feel like there's a lot of characters that you could, like, are really clearly defined even without much screen time. Like, even um, Kim, who is actually, like, a main character, but Kim doesn't mm. talk much. Um, mm. A lot of Kim's is just, like, movements, like the shooting herself in the head, like, motion and, and the um, just blank skip stares she does at Scott and stuff like that. <laughs> like, But even without much dialogue... Kim's act is fantastic at playing Kim. Like yes. everyone plays their characters so well that I'm sure, like after watching the movie even once, you could probably get people to vaguely describe how a character is just because of mm. how well they were acted. Kim's a great one, and it's unfortunately one that 100 percent went over my head as a kid. <laughs> Again, she was a bit shafted by the film with not having as much backstory. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Everyone's characterization is yeah incredibly on point. Everyone knows exactly what they're playing, and yeah. I feel like this is kind of. Edgar Wright, I feel like, probably does a lot of character work with his actors. 
mm. and really reinforces, you know, at a very fundamental level, what are these characters? Yeah. And then because the movie itself is so explosive and bombastic, you need to find ways to stretch those characters out to, especially the exes, you need to find the ways to stretch those characters out to make them as larger than life as possible. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, for characters like Ramona, because she's already so subdued, um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead plays her, you know, that a little bit more subdued, confident, um, but still kind of, yeah, cautious, I guess is the best way to mm. describe Ramona. Hmm. Kim deserved better. Ki- Kim, uh, Kim, deserve Kim better. and Knives both deserve better. Big time. Knives, is, Knives was just just immature i i think i think you mentioned before where i you, you know you totally kind of get your head around this but the reason that everyone dated scott is pretty clear once you get in a bit where yeah. it's mm-hmm. like you want knives knives idolizes him because he's five years older than her yeah. and in a band and um ramona is just looking for someone she doesn't think is going to turn into an evil asshole which yeah. is mm. hilarious because that's kind of the whole point of the film mm. he becomes more of a douche uh, <laughs> by kind of not understanding her and not understanding himself i've talked a bunch about how they left out some backstory for the film mm. but um and i'm not sure if you guys are going to mention this later in the trivia or something i guess but um there was actually an animation released with the film um, oh, that's like yeah. five or something minutes long. Um, that pretty much I've watched that. I have watched that. Yeah, sorry. It it pretty much recreates just the scene from the comics, which was part like Scott's whole backstory with Kim and that character they cut Lisa, which they just recreated and they. I don't even know where it was posted. Did it was it like special features on the DVD? I have no idea where I, it's from. I watched it on YouTube. I, I watched it on YouTube too, but I don't know where it was meant to be from. But that was made, and I guess because they thought it was important. But again, like I, you have to dig for it. Again, I don't know where it was posted at the time. If it was in the DVD, if they just posted it online. But you're right. It, as of now, you have to dig for that. Which is kind of a shame. Mm. Oh, it's on Adult Swim. It was on Adult Swim? Yeah. Right. Hmm. And then I which kind of makes sense, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And then it would have come with, like, yeah, I'd say probably special features probably on the DVD or the Blu ray, you know, surely. Um, yeah, that's interesting. But again, yeah, I think it's uh, another thing that you have to keep in mind is while they were making this film, Brian Lee O'Malley was still working on the end. Yeah, the ending <laughs> is still completely on- different in the film. Right. He was still working on the uh, the tail end of the comic book series. So that's that's the number one point where I, not the number one point. There's a couple of little gripes I have with the comic, but um, the the fact that in the film they're like, this is a metaphor and it's a film, so we're just like, this is it, and you know we don't have to explain it in the universe. Whereas, and I guess it kind of makes sense more from where the comic artist was like his viewpoint of this is sort of like a video game type thing mm. the the glow concept where the, all these perceived evil exes and and people like having to experience their own like self doubt and so is like a mechanical part like it's it's this thing that Gideon can do to people mm. and it's it's like the whole Scott's head starts glowing because um, he's having an argument or something. Yeah. I I only vaguely remember the ending to the comic books. It was more and more complex. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the ending 
is not perfect, but at the very end, I'm still, I still don't entirely know where it should have gone for me to be completely kind of satisfied with it. But I like the bit where Scott is sort of redeemed, sort of, mm. by by just putting it out on the table and going, wow, all that stuff I've been doing for the last couple of years, completely not cool. Mm. And I apologize. And I know that doesn't make it better, but I apologize type shit. Mm. I, I, I like that. And I like that he didn't go like, ha ha, yeah. it's me, G-Man. I have, I have caused an affliction on you. And that's why <laughs> this whole film happened. He just said like, no, this is, it was just kind of, much more real like that i guess yeah uh i think the film does a lot of kind of uh, this is going very left field of what you were just talking about <laughs> but uh it does like a lot of kind of anti-climaxes mm. like there are lots of things where the film sets you up for like oh this is gonna happen and then the film goes nah yeah <laughs> that's not like the um uh knives going i've never even kissed a guy before and then you know scott turns back to her and the music is starting to swell he's like hey and you know brushes her shoulder and then you know first person if you're it's your first time watching this you go like okay here comes the 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 pash and then he goes neither have i and then you know that's that's a very good like bait and switch it does that a Mm. lot um oh it's so good (laughs) but it also works with a character of him being an absolute weenie yeah 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 (laughs) Douglas, yeah. do you have anything in your trivia about the alternate endings of the film? I briefly read about it, but you can feel free to enlighten us. So there was a, um, and this kind of makes sense knowing I actually didn't know that um, Brian still hadn't finished the comic. And mm. it makes more sense when you put it like that. Um, but they had an ending where he ended up with knives and an ending where he ended up with Ramona and then just saw who like with test screenings who thought it was better which is kind of which is i definitely feel as well there's kind of they they clearly didn't really know where to go with it mm, and they kind yeah. of just picked the one the audience liked better but there was the third uh secret ending that they wanted to film that did not happen because they ran out of time but they wanted to have um a bit where uh, it cuts to news footage and uh, it's it's they're describing, uh, you know, a young man in Toronto has murdered seven people and basically just like the whole film was just in Scott's head and he was just fucking <laughs> imagining this video game world so he could kill these guys that like he perceived as liking this other girl. That's, oh my God. That, that, that's... <laughs> That's funny. I I think that would have been a shit ending because I fucking hate endings like that. But that's very funny. <laughs> I think it was supposed to be like a you know like a, a, a you know a joke, bonus yeah. features yeah. thing on the DVD. That would have been very very funny. That would have been delightful. Still, that spins a very fucked kind of like almost horror. Exactly. Yeah, they would totally like ruin everything in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And there was oh, a there funny. was a another I believe it was all just a dream thing that was scrapped very quickly because yeah. obviously Edgar Wright wouldn't let that fly. I want to knock through the last two bits of my notes. Uh, there's a thing with throughout where people have like large bits of text on things for like no like reason. Like so, there's 
I think it's the first battle of the bands. The drum just says drum on it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Yeah. The th- there's a three on Todd's shirt that makes another, a lot of sense. Um, but I think there was also Scott's wearing a shirt that I think says shirt on it. Oh, no, it says... Oh, no, he's wearing an apron that says cook. I was <laughs> yes. wondering if there was... I was wondering if there was more of that and whether it ties into something bigger or if it was just, like, an aesthetic decision. I have something about that three thing, but I'm also not sure mm. if you guys have that piece of trivia because this is, like, the piece of Scott Pilgrim trivia. I mean, yeah, yeah, I do. I've got that covered, Jet. Okay. There's the, you know, costume design is huge in this fucking movie. Yeah. And there's there's plenty of things and details to be seen within, yeah, costume design. We'll, so. we'll leave that for the trivia then, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep, got um, you covered. And I also, I also, I, I didn't come to like a hard uh, conclusion on this, but young Neil as uh, a character who's constantly just emulating what Scott does. And then, because there's um, the first party where he's literally just repeating shit that Scott says. And then Scott's like, I gotta go pee. And Scott go- uh, Neil goes, I gotta pee. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he knows all of Scott's bass bits. And then he just ends up slotting straight in as their bass player. Yeah. It was very, it was weird. I was trying to work out what the intention for that as a character was, but I didn't really get anywhere. Maybe it's almost like young Neil wants to be like Scott. Maybe he envisions Scott as like, you know, he's this, wow, he's this cool dude. You know, maybe he is the teenager watching the film Mm -hmm. going, wow, Scott Pilgrim is this, you know, he's such a cool guy. I wish I could be like Scott. And, you know, but he's either too shy, too timid, whatever it is. He's playing his video games. And so he just has to kind of idle in the background. And when he probably is a better bassist than Scott (laughs) and just kind of idle in the background and let Scott do his thing. And then, yeah, he just slots into that role because he's been living in Scott's shadow for as long as he has. Then he's observed so many of Scott's mannerisms and everything Mm. that he's just a byproduct of Scott. It, um, I, yeah, I, I was wondering about, I think that's probably what makes the most sense, Mm. but I was wondering whether there was maybe something about like Scott, not actually being needed where he is. Like, if he was just picked up and thrown, you know... Thrown in the trash. Just obliterated from the face of the earth. You know, young Neil just slots in directly in that Scott-shaped hole, except without being abusive to people. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But yeah, that's 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 all I had for my kind of more interesting notes. I have... I, I wrote six pages of notes for this one, so I doubled what I did on Mandy. Oh, actually, I think maybe Mandy was four... Wow. But um, well done. but so many of them were just like jokes that I liked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, moments. I had to stop myself doing that because I knew I knew that coming, and I was like, "This is an Edgar Wright movie, and I'm gonna want to write a note down for every single fucking line, every single funny visual gag that happens. I'm gonna want to do it." So I was like, "Just I only wrote down one page, and I was like, you know what? That's that's good enough for me. I'm not gonna write down any more than that." <laughs> I wanted to mention actually with the you can say what you will about the Roxy fight, but Honey, I'm a little bi-furious is one of the best lines oh, yeah. in the film. <laughs> bi-curious, bi-curious into bi-furious. Is yeah. It? yeah. Also, um, also Knives saying it's time to chow down is very good. Yeah, that's a, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's, that's, that's my notes. Do you guys have any closing remarks? I'm good. Uh, yeah. I'm covered. I'm good. Wow. 
How fucking boring. I'm sorry. I'm getting new co-hosts. <laughs> both oh. of you. Both of wow. you are fired. Oh, okay. Well, who <laughs> uploads the podcast, Jonathan? Oh. <laughs> Wait, actually, hold on. We didn't talk much about Gideon. Oh, like, yeah. At all. We can, we can chat about, about Gideon. Gideon Gray. Just like, I don't know. Just I feel like because he's like the ma- he's the main guy. Like, <laughs> mm, mm. Well, I guess in a sense, he is rather forgettable. I think he kind of he drops in right at the end because we've already had the the other evil exes. Mm. I feel like they're already put on such a higher pedestal than Gideon that by the time Gideon comes around, we're all just kind of like, oh, Gideon, you know, well, he's yeah. he's here and he's put the the chip in Ramona. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> big scary. Um, his I will say his final fight scene is very good, um, and yeah, his good interactions villain, yeah. with Scott are really good. Um, Jason Schwartzman uh, plays Gideon very, very well. Um, the I swallowed my gum that's going to be in my digestive tract for another five years line is fantastic, and he delivers that incredibly well. He does feel like a final boss, if we're going by the... Mm. Like, the whole... Even mm. just the whole going in the elevator and it's, like, all the video game stuff, like, boss fight or whatever the fucking says, like... Tropes, yeah. It, it, it And, like, the the fact that he's on a giant pyramid or whatever and he's, like, sitting up the top of it, it's almost, like, comical, because Ramona's on her fucking knees next to him and it's, like, fucking hell. <laughs> it's the... Uh, I think of what's that? Uh, it was the first Donkey Kong game? You know the one where he like rolls barrels down the thing and then Donkey Kong. Kong. <laughs> what? The first Donkey, Donkey Kong, Kong game. Donkey rolls- Kong. Yes, Donkey Kong. <laughs> no, not no. I'm not saying it's called Donkey Kong. I'm saying Donkey Kong's first game. That's called Donkey Kong. Is it really? Yes. <laughs> Douglas, the- Douglas, we had. The other week we had like a two-hour discussion about Donkey the Kong. lore of Donkey Kong. Really? I guess you oh, missed. I like, well, you not yeah, I guess I wasn't that. listening. I guess did I wasn't know, listening. Did you know that Donkey Kong in the original Donkey oh, Kong God. game is actually Cranky Kong? Did you know that? That's fucked up. I, and Donkey, Jack, Don- I'm gonna need to. I'm just gonna lean over and take off your tinfoil hat. No, 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 Oh, it's Nintendo confirmed, and Donkey Kong Jr. is actually the Donkey Kong we know's dad. Keep this in the podcast. People need to know. <laughs> <laughs> People need to know. <laughs> it's it's like the Donkey Kong game, Donkey Kong, where he's sitting at the top of the thing, and then there's Peach. That's that's what it's I that's what I was trying to it's say. Not Peach in that game. That's Fuck Pauline. You dead. fucking Pauline, monster. Man. Fuck's sake. Oh, I, <laughs> I want to walk away so badly right now. <laughs> Um, I think the, I think the interesting thing about Gideon is that he, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's the first abusive ex, right? Yeah. 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 Every other one was that Ramona had some reason she didn't want to date them and she left, but he, he, yes, he's abusive to her, clearly, emotionally. Yeah, that's why I also find it interesting that Ramona's also not entirely over Gideon because it's also those most toxic relationships, which also have the worst- impacts on you like mm. Ramona's over everyone mm. else but Gideon the worst one of them she isn't and that's like often with abusive relationships shit like that can happen mm. yeah the one the one who is the most abusive is the one that has their hooks in the deepest exactly yeah yeah mm. wow did not think about that mm-hmm. wow. yeah. <laughs> mm. and the Kari and Nagi twins are I don't know a critique of polyamory I don't know nah, I don't know what the- <laughs> oh, maybe yeah <laughs> Because again, we don't get too much. Well, I mean, yeah, in the in the books, we get more back 
backstory on the Katayanagi twins, but in the film it's just like there was maybe a threesome. Yeah, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> the, uh, again, I can't remember what the much about the twins in the book. They probably had a way more meaning to them. Um, mm. In the movie, I think they just they realized they had to cut down one of the exes. That's the one they chose, and they just mm. gave it a cool fight instead. Gave them a well, chance to play a cool song. I do have some trivia on the Katayanagi twins. Would you like me to share that with all of you listeners? Play the play the trivia intro. Great. Okay. <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, starting off with the the big one that is, uh, it's kind of, you know, I'm just going to say it because I need to say it, but any person with a brain can see that this is a thing that happens within the context of this film. Throughout the film, when Scott faces an evil ex, a number corresponding to them appears. Evil ex number one has one chevron on his left shoulder. Evil ex number two, uh, number two has a two on the trailer, a two on the car, a small tattoo of a two on his neck, and his belt has two X's. Evil ex number three has a three on his shirt, there's threes on the posters on the wall, and there's also a three on the trash cans in the alley. Evil ex number four has a number four on the nightclub door. Wow, that's very... Wow. Yeah. Very that, rhyming. I picked that one. That <laughs> one was very, very large. Evil X 5 and 6, the amp system goes up to 11, which is 5 that's plus 6. That's a stretch. Evil X 7. <laughs> Evil X number 7, when Scott goes to see Gideon, it mentions it's level 7. When Gideon makes his sword appear, all of the stats read times 7. He also makes a reference to the gummy swallows to being in his digestive tract for 7 years. The final score after Scott defeats Gideon is 7 billion. Gideon's initials is GGG, with G brings the seventh letter in the alphabet. Scott himself is seen wearing and drinking zero a number of times, indicating that he is the zero. Yep. Yes, zero. Mm-hmm. There's, there's like, like, there's like ad, even more than that list, there's so, like, there's so much. Yeah, like, even like Matthew Patelli like, points with one finger like a bajillion times and shit. It's, mm. it's very, it's, mm. it is a great way to rewatch the movie and just look at all that shit and go, wow. <laughs> it's a very big Edgar Wright movie. Very... It's very cool though, yeah. It's like like lots of little... It, it, it's, it is representative of the amount of detail in like everything in the film. So it's yeah. cool. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Edgar Wright is just the, yeah, king of transitions, king of detail. Um, big time. The star on Ramona's bag changes in accordance with her hair color. I didn't pick that. I didn't know that. Ah, what the fuck? <laughs> did not know that. Kind of cool. Yeah. During the editing process, Edgar Wright showed filmmakers Quentin Tarantino, Jason Reitman, and Kevin Smith a rough cut of the film, to which they responded positively. Cool. Good old Taron Spino. The stunt doubles of Lucas Lee are the actual stunt doubles for actor Chris Evans. Only a quarter of the doubles resemble Evans. <laughs> Fucking new. I, I actually, I didn't know that, but I thought I was I wondering that every time I've watched the film, yeah. <laughs> We were we were wondering why um, there wasn't another one of the Evans brothers. That would have been funny. That would have been cute. But they probably look too similar, and the joke would be lost. The Canadian band Broken Social Scene wrote the two four-second songs We Hate You, Please Die and I'm So Sad, So Very, Very Sad for Crash and the Boys. Metric, another Canadian band, wrote the song Black Sheep, which is performed by Scott's rival band, The Clash at Demonhead. Cracker. They did another song, actually, Broken Social Scene. Anthems for a Simpsons. Which is the one that plays when Knives is gets bumped into by Scott in the crowd, which is really sad. That was like my last note that I wrote down in my, my notes. I was like, oh, nice. The whole, who performed yeah. the Sex Bob Bomb sounds as, sound, songs as well? That was a band. Like they're, Beck, Beck, pretty sure. Okay. All the, I, I feel like we haven't mentioned as much, but all the music in this film is killer. Yeah, I've listened to the soundtrack phenomenal. so many fucking times. Mm. Mm. Anyway, continue. Um, Beck, is, Beck is most known for um, Loser. 
the I'm a loser, baby, so why don't you kill me? That mm-hmm. one. Um, that's back. Uh, during the Ant versus Ant battle, when the Katayanagi twins turn up their speakers, the volume control goes to 11, which is a reference to this is Spinal Tap. Is it 5 plus 6, or is it a reference to oh. Spinal Tap? Isn't there... It's both! <laughs> Why can't it be both? <laughs> Isn't there a brand of amp that goes specifically because because of that bit that all the amps go up to 11? I'm pretty sure there Fucking, is. This is Spinal Tap is great, by the way. I feel like we've had... Who's mm. the director of This is Spinal Tap? We have, I feel like we've had one of his films before. Because oh. I feel like I've talked I about like This is that. Spinal Tap before. We've talked about this as Spinal Tap on the... Oh, Rob Reiner. And he directed The Princess Bride. It comes full circle, baby! Yeah, that's right. Oh, hey, that's the other episode of Modern Oh, Spotlight. okay. Bump, bump, bump. That's what I mean. It comes full circle. Go check out that episode. It's the best episode. Other than this one, this go one's better. The princess- go listen to The Princess Bride. It's shorter than this one. <laughs> um... Uh, Kita Saitu and Shota Saito, forgive me for pronunciations, who play Evil X's 5 and 6, spoke little to no English, and Edgar Wright said directing them during their fight scene was a challenge, involving hand gestures and other crude means of communication. It also meant axing a talkative subplot from the books where they hold Kim Pine as a hostage. In the cage! <laughs> Kim's in the cage! Oh! There you go. I remember. So, it was purely because, yeah, these two guys... <laughs> spoke very little English that they had to ax the subplot. I think that was part of the important thing going on with Kim and Scott. Like, Kim... Mm. Scott helped Kim in that scenario, and I gotta read the comic books again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Before going to the after party, text on the screen uses the word E-X-P-L-O-D-E. This is a reference to the trailer of Akira. Ah. Spells explode. Which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Is that what that is? Early in the film, when Sex Bob-Omb are practicing in the house, their amps have logos that read Lame Brand. Near the end, when they are performing at the Chaos Theatre, presumably with some big label money behind them, their nicer outfits are accompanied by amps with logos that read Sweet Brand. (laughs) (laughs) Which I did not know. No. I I had to find it again in the film and I was like, like there it is. Cook on the apron and stuff, that's another one of those right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. When Scott and his friends are walking to Julie's party, there is a building in the background with a lit up flight center sign. The L, however, is flickering, so it actually reads Fight Center. Ah, <laughs> cute. Very cute. There are several subtle digs at aspects of hipster culture and the perceived pretentiousness of the music industry throughout the film, when an individual makes transparent efforts to appear smarter or ahead of everyone else. After just witnessing Clash at Demon Head play on stage, young Neil casually states that, quote, you should see them live. They're much better live. <laughs> Upon Scott's first entrance into the Chaos Theatre, Como uh, can be heard saying, their first album is much better than their first album. <laughs> when he comes in the second time, he goes, uh, the comic book is better than the movie. <laughs> just about to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like the graphic novel, Scott Pilgrim is seen wearing a t-shirt with the letters SP in a heart. While these are Scott's initials, the design is the logo for the band Smashing Pumpkins, an influence of creator Brian Lee O'Malley. Uh. Scott is also seen wearing a Zero t-shirt, an iconic shirt often worn by Smashing Pumpkins lead singer Billy Corgan. Additionally, one of the film's acts is titled The Infinite Sadness, which is a reference to the Smashing Pumpkins 1995 album Melancholy and The Infinite Sadness. It's also a song uh-huh. in that album, and it's a good song. Uh-huh. Fact. So the Zero the zero t-shirt has a double meaning, which is kind of cool. I like yeah, that. I like that. That's very Sounds cool. Sounds like a bunch of things have double meanings. <laughs> mm. Mm. 
In the record store, when Knives picks up the Clash at Demon Head, Scott throws the CD onto another rack, and the Beck album, Odelay, is visible. Beck wrote Ramona and composed music for Sex Bobble. I like the bit where they're at the, um, uh, where Knives, I think Knives asked Julie where they can find the Clash of Demon Head, and she goes, have you tried the section labeled the Clash of Demon Head? <laughs> Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> I love Julie. Fucking Julie is probably one of my favorite characters for fucking Pilgrim. <laughs> uh, so good. Never how you mind do- how I'm doing that with my mouth. How are you doing that with your mouth? <laughs> uh, so good. That's all I had for trivia. Um, I wanted to keep it nice and short because fuck, there's so much goddamn trivia in this mm. goddamn movie. If you're, if you're even mildly interested in all the tiny details of this film, go look at the IMDb trivia page. There's a plethora so of information for you there. There's the classic, um, like we said before, the hearts and the busters, the fucking everything. It's a lot in this yeah. film. There's probably four-hour YouTube videos explaining all the... Yeah. Yeah, and I tried to pick the ones that I didn't know about, which probably means that other people don't know about them either. The, the, the number um, thing is, like, a big one, but, like, it's such a good one that you can't not mention it. <laughs> oh, yeah. fuck! I forgot this. <laughs> There's a mention right at the start. Okay, two things. Uh, the party where Scott meets properly meets Ramona... Number one, and this is something that goes throughout the film, but they, they always have, like, extras in just, like, really boring monochrome with really boring hair. So, they completely... Oh, really? Like, fade out compared to, mm. you know, Scott and Ramona especially. Our leads. Yeah. I also like the bit where Scott is asking people about Ramona and they're going like, oh, she's got some battle scars and like, oh, she's she's not... She had a boyfriend, but they broke up after, like, a huge fight and everything, which is like, you watch it again, you're like, oh, they mean literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. She's got some battle scars, She's got dude. Some battle scars, dude. <laughs> it's my favorite guy in that whole sequence. He's always oh, my favorite. And the fact that the, the email where Scott, uh, the Matthew Patel email, and he's just like, this is boring. The email's like two lines long. Yeah. And it says, like, you, you will fight me. <laughs> I, Very good. There is, like, I feel like, because we're approaching, like, hour and a half mark now. Mm-hmm. And there's still so much to talk about. We're not going to, but like, it still feels like there is so much to talk about with this film. You could go yeah. through it fucking bit by bit, and it just yeah. <laughs> it's I think I think the pure coming back to this again. I think the pure reason that this film didn't crack the two fifty is because of the actual story itself and the context of the story. If we're talking purely cinema, cinematography, film production, this film is fucking gold. Mm-hmm. You know, like the level of detail, the rewatchability, the uh, just the the attention to detail is insanely good. In in that alone, it deserves to be in the two fifty. But purely because the story is rather inaccessible, is why yeah, I don't think it cracks the two fifty. Which also, is a shame. People hated Michael Sarah because they were people tired hate of him. Michael Sarah. Don't don't not hated hate present tense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the hatred just... continues ten years onward. <laughs> <laughs> Poor bastard. Yeah, poor guy. I also recommend if you have watched this film many times before, uh, and if you're or if you just watched it once and you enjoyed it, I do recommend finding the comics and reading them. Yeah, there me is too. probably yeah. an easy, uh, probably an illegal way to read them online, but if you want to be a good boy and read them properly, you could also probably find them somewhere. Just it, I seriously recommend it. it. It adds a lot. There again, there are whole plot lines. This is a whole summertime plot that happens. There's a whole backstory with Lisa. There's the whole backstory with Kim. It's everything like. It's different, and the ending's different. And like you said, I think it's maybe a bit too much, the ending in the comics, but um, it's still really good. 
And I, I would mm. seriously, if you like Scott Pilgrim movie, I recommend reading the comics as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the, the big difference, oh, I guess I probably shouldn't talk about this if you're recommending people read the comic. Um, the, the film dwells on the section where like Ramona and Gideon break up, mm. which is basically like, you know, stay broken up for like five minutes or whatever. That's like really dwelled upon, um, with the comics and there's like this like weird sense of like hopelessness because it's like a big chunk of one of the four books is on Scott going, okay, well, I guess I got to pick my life up and then they, you know, record an album or something. Yeah. The, the comics take place over a, a year or so and mm-hmm. where the movie's like a week. So yeah. shit happens very differently in the comics. Yeah. 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 But I still <laughs> recommend it. It's still really good if you liked the film. Yes. I recommend it also. Also, I love the art. So, and I would recommend all of, uh, Edgar Wright's other that filmography, too. the Cornetto trilogy, Baby Driver. Go check out all that other good stuff because it's it's just if you like detail and rewatchability in films, go watch all them because they're just yeah. as grand, yeah. if not more so. Hot Fuzz, <laughs> stay tuned. Is Hot Fuzz on the list? Yeah. No. If, oh no. But that's our. It unless something be. goes horribly wrong, that's going to be our um our final bonus episode because uh, it's my favorite film and yeah. we're both oh. very big fans of it. Okay, cool. It's, it's that's mm. the big one. That's the, the big, big stinker. Yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. if you like this episode and you'd like to listen to the next one, uh, we put episodes out weekly every Tuesday at midnight Australian Eastern Standard Time, which comes out to about 2 p.m. on a Monday, Greenwich Mean Time, 10 a.m. Monday, Eastern Daylight Time, 7 a.m. Monday, Pacific Daylight Time, whatever. It's on it. If you live in Australia, it's midnight. If you live, <laughs> if you live anywhere else... It's, oh, I mean, if you live in New Zealand, it's this like- is perfect execution, It's like 12.30. Oh, I, I give this I to you every it's single so, time. I, it's so- you... It's on a Monday. Oh. <laughs> you just- oh, You're like, whatever. It's it's on a Monday. Who exactly. Who fucking knows? It just comes out whenever it wants to come <laughs> out. If you want this. to um, discuss- anything film related with us uh, episode related with us directly you can email us at mail at 250.com we had a great time with that um that person who emailed us about trisham uh it was extremely well thought out once again thank you for that email it was great yeah Um, yeah great um uh we have an instagram at Sorry, wait, did I actually fucking mention it? It's mail at 250.com. Did I say that? You did say okay. that, yeah. You did. You <laughs> did. This is, is so good, dude. Keep it up. Our Keep Instagram this energy is going. At, mm-hmm. Okay, look, this heckling isn't helping. At <laughs> uh, 250pod, that's T-W-O-F-I-V-E-O-H-P-O-D. We're on Instagram. We put out updates uh, on the next episode and the upcoming episodes and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Douglas, mm-hmm. if... Uh, uh, where would someone be able to listen to us if they were so inclined? You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Podcast Addicts, Pocket Casts, Google Home, and Amazon Echo, or wherever good podcasts are sold, you will find us there. Um, we both use Letterboxd. I don't think Jet uses Letterboxd. No. Uh, we both use Letterboxd, uh, <laughs> which is a little film tracking and reviewing website. Uh, I'm Upa. That's U-U-U-P-A-H. And Douglas... I am I-E-N-Z-O-K-N-I-G-H-T. That's the Enzo Knight with a K. John here writes haikus whenever he bloody well feels like it. Mm. And I write more uh, condensed versions of what I talk about here on the 250 as well as anything else I forgot to talk about. Hmm. I've been on two episodes of this. Maybe I should get a little box. Uh, you should. I mean, yeah, you should. It is, great. it is very cool just for... I literally just bought it. Bought it? I literally just signed up for 
tracking my own like film stuff prior to this so it's good for that it's kind of like um uh it's like fucking my anime list or whatever that that same basic concept whenever i hear a film now i go straight to letterboxd and i see what you know the other because i can i can rely on the reviews there to actually be by a somewhat normal human being rather than some cinema jack off who went to the cinemas with his fucking glass of champers and he went oh, bring it home let's go this film is beneath me i give it to two and then you know you go onto letterbox and it's got like a five it's a very specific set of circumstances but here we are <laughs> the thing that we've the thing that we've really learned about with this podcast so far is that imdb is terrible <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, IMDb is as flexible and terrible as a, a gymnast on a sweaty day. The letterboxed, the letterboxed reviews are, in my experience, much more nuanced and you know, just sounds like an ad. It's nice. Yeah. Well, it yeah, always sounds like a do fucking it. ad. Every single time we're like, it sounds like an ad read. Letterboxed, we'd love you so much. It's good. Well, some uh, ads podcast with the letterboxed two five zero. <laughs> it would be hilarious if we got sponsored by Letterboxd on a podcast about IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, surreal! Do you um? Do you have anything to plug yet? Yeah, uh, just my YouTube channel at Doverbilly D O V A H B I L L Y. Um, I just uploaded a hilarious. Well, no, this is gonna air when it's. I wouldn't have uploaded what? a hilarious video. No. Oh. Wait, what do you mean? Do you have one in the works? No, because I just uploaded the video last night. It was a funny, hilarious well, then, video from last night. Well, then it's going to be out We're not for airing like a the podcast weeks. back in exactly. time. All right, well, in two weeks, I'm going to have to upload a hilarious, no, like, funny video. It's like in a week. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess you can do that too. <laughs> wow. Subscribe to my gonna, YouTube it's channel. only going to be a week. <laughs> We're, we're, okay. we're recording oh, this like a week out from publishing day. A week ago, I uploaded a funny video. <laughs> oh my God. That's going to um, be, that's no, going to be good. We love, we love Jet's content on YouTube. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. very, it's very stupid. We're also normally, both of us are in a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. Normally involves us. So <laughs> um, if you're so inclined, go check that out. Otherwise, thank you for tuning into the longest episode of the 250 yet and you probably for the people who just skip through to see the, the end bit good on you I love you love your work we look forward to seeing you again real soon we keep <laughs> congratulating these people who jumped the end as if they're not psychopaths <laughs> we've done well, this you before congratu- call no, out yeah, post you, you congratulated them once so then I was just like well I guess this is what we're this doing now for longer now. episodes yeah yeah alright Jet give us the closer bring it home oh uh Cut it there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you put me on the spot, bro. (laughs) Yes, and motherfucker. (laughs) You're a funny person, Jim. On the spot. All right, bye. I love you. See you guys.